Tonight, I'd like to explore with you the topic of perception. And some of you might remember this is one of the five aggregates, the process by which we recognize experience. So tonight I'd like to spend quite a bit of time looking at just this aspect of the aggregate, just this one um, process. You know, on the surface it might seem that it's a pretty simple process, just a simple recognition of experience. We see something and we recognize it. We see a chair, we know it's a chair. We see a cushion, we know it's a cushion. We see the wall, we know it's a wall. It's the, the process by which we recognize experience. And so on the surface of it, it seems perhaps kind of simple. And yet the suttas, the, the teachings of the Buddha, point to not understanding this process as being one of the key reasons, one of the leading causes for suffering, for stress, for struggle, for conflict in our world. And so with that kind of recognition that when we don't understand perception properly, that is when it's infused with confusion and delusion, it can lead to a lot of problems, struggles in our lives and conflict in the world. Perhaps it bears some reflection and some exploration. So we'll spend some time this evening looking at perception itself, what it is, how it works, how we might be able to recognize it in our experience, and then ways that that process gets tied up with delusion. Ways that that process, we get caught by that process and it leads us to struggle, to suffer. So a little bit of a recap about perception, since both Bhante and I talked about it a little bit each in each of our talks when we each talked about the aggregates, but I'll just recap a little bit about what perception is. Basically, it's, there's a a kind of a meeting or a contact of experience with the eye, with the ear, with the nose, with the tongue, with the skin, with our minds. And um, the, that in that contact, there is the, the mind uh, trying to recognize what the experience is. What, what is that sight? What is that sound? What is that smell? What is that taste? What is that contact? It's a natural function of the mind. And I, as I said in my, in my talk last time, and I think Bhante also pointed out, this is a really useful process, this recognition you know, the way, the way we um, wander through our day requires perception. It requires us to be able to recognize things. If we had to, every time we walked into a room, figure out that these are people, and this is the floor, and this is the wall, and I shouldn't walk to, through a wall. And if we, if we had to figure all of that out every time, we'd be exhausted. And so this perceptual process is kind of a very useful mechanism of our minds to help save energy. It's kind of a a shortcut. And from the time we're born, we're taking in sight, sound, smells, taste, and touch, and categorizing, classifying, organizing all of that information into concepts, into uh, perceptions. And so it's a very useful process. First, it's kind of a layered process. You know, it's kind of, if we, if we explore how our senses work, we can, we can do this with a little bit of a reflection. And also, you can see this in your practice as your uh, mindfulness gets a little bit more continuous. I've occasionally seen this in my practice, that perception is kind of layered. 
the first thing that our senses meet is kind of the, like sight for instance. The first thing that sight meets is form and color. That's what our eyes register is form and color. And from there, the mind begins to recognize that particular shape of form and color is a chair. That particular shape of form and color is a person. And so it's, it's like there's a layered, that, that, like this bell for instance, you know, there's the, the, the shape and the color of the bell, you know, that your, your mind is perceiving that as, as well as the sh- the, the, uh, what you know it to be, the bell. So it's kind of, it's got a layered kind of uh, process. Our minds don't have to go through these layers uh, or we don't have to consciously go through these layers every time we meet a bell. We just see it and immediately it's bell. Immediately we know. And so we can start to see this process at work. At one point on one retreat I was um, sitting outside and uh, it, was, it was at a retreat in California and I, something caught my eye and I turned my head and my eye fell on a shape and a color and the mind kind of named or, or noted um, what it saw and it was the, the mind first saw green, then it saw jagged and then it recognized it as leaf. So kind of this layered, this layered process. So as I, um, as I said the other day, often the perceptual process is about recognizing the objects themselves. You know, it's about recognizing this is a bell, that's a leaf, this is a flower. This is one aspect of perception, this identification of what we could call objects, identification of objects out of our field of experience. Sometimes we can see, in our, in our practice, we can sometimes also see, uh, again, when the, when the um, mindfulness is a little more continuous, and perhaps when si- the, the situation or the, um, the environment is maybe a little uh, obscured. So if the, if the lights are dim, for instance, you might see as you walk into a room, your mind trying to figure out what's in that room and where it is in the room. On one retreat, I walked into a dim room at night, uh, you know, just a little tiny bit of light in the edges, and there was this shape, this shape on a table. And I watched my mind trying to figure out what it was it came up with some very bizarre things. One of the things, one of the first things it came up with was, it's a deformed being. (laughs) And I I recognized pretty quickly, no, (laughs) probably not. (laughs) But it tried on a couple things before it actually recognized, it's a vase of flowers. So sometimes we can watch our minds doing this, trying on various perceptions until it feels like it's found something that like meets the situation, meets the conditions, meets what is, uh, is here and can create that kind of match. So this is kind of, we can kind of think of our perceptual process as being matching our, our experience from our history. So perception not only includes this naming of experience, although this is the main one that I'll explore and I think is one of the easiest to see, this recognition of experience. And I'll talk in a minute about exploring that, how, do, how, how we might recognize this in our experience. Perception also uh, includes the recognition of space, location, so the distance that I perceive in this room. This is a perception. When we look at the room and we see that it it looks like, you know, there's 
space there. I'm not saying that there's not space there, <laughs> but the fact that we recognize it as that space is a function of perception. This is a little bit perhaps easier to recognize around hearing. You know, when we uh, experience hearing, we experience the sound. What's happening is that the sound waves are hitting the eardrum, right? That's what's going on physically. There's just sound waves hitting the eardrum. And the mind, through repeated having experienced sound waves hitting the eardrum, understands and basically creates the understanding of something about where that sound is located in space. That's also a function of perception. When we walk upstairs, the... uh, distance that we step, the amount that we move our foot to step up the stairs, it works because perception is working, the perception of of distance and space, our seeing of that. And so there's many aspects to perception. Perception is our friend. (laughs) We get through the world, we navigate the world because of perception. The process of perception can get us into trouble when we don't understand that it is a process. We uh, easily misunderstand and get caught by the process of perception, basically mistaking what we're perceiving as being the reality of the world. The Buddha, uh, for the aggregates, for each of the aggregates, as Bhante mentioned last night, each of the aggregates has an analogy. And I'll only talk about the analogy for perception tonight. But the analogy related to each of the, um, the, the aggregates is said to point to the way that that particular aggregate can confuse us, can, um, that it, it uh, kind of, catches us off guard or we misattribute, misattribute something around that aggregate. Well, the analogy for perception is that perception is like a mirage. I actually looked up mirages a couple of years ago at one point when I was reviewing this talk. And I discovered actually... Um, that a mirage is, I mean, sometimes we think of a mirage as being completely something made up in the mind. But actually, the real definition of mirage is that it is based on the way the, like if you're in the desert, for instance, the heat coming off the desert refracts the light in such a way, for instance, this is one way that uh, a mirage would happen, so that the heat in the uh, reflecting off the desert refracts the light in such a way that you see the sky, it's like it creates a mirror, and you see the sky reflected on the sand, so it looks like a lake. So a mirage is not a complete concoction of somebody who's dying for thirst, but actually a, a perception of something. It's, it's a seeing of something that's reflected. It's a seeing of the sky reflected on the ground. And so it's, it's a reflection of something that's there. The sky is there. But it's a reflection of something and in the the deluding nature of the analogy pointed to here is that we can easily confuse it for being something that it's not. So perception functions, like it's what's happening is that we're taking in, there's, at least in my view of things, there is stuff out there. You guys are out there. I believe you guys are out there. You know? (laughs) 
you're not just a contraction of my mind and I'm sitting here giving a talk to my mind. I actually think you're out there. And yet my experience of you is a construction in the mind. I can't actually experience you directly. I experience you through the perception in the mind. So it's like a reflection. It's like a reflection. A perception is like a reflection. And so the way that we can get caught or mis- or misunderstand the process here is that we take that reflection to be the actual reality. So with our experience of things coming through, moderated through our mind, basically, there's a very large doorway through which opinions, views, interpretations can enter if we aren't aware that perception is a reflection of experience and not the not reality so this is this is um this is a big piece of the deluding nature of perception that we interpret or view our perceptions as being reality and in that often drag in a lot of views and opinions So that, that uh, representation in our minds of what's happening out there is very often distorted by interpretation. And so if we can become aware of this process, there is a possibility that we may become aware that the interpretation is distorting our seeing. From this you might begin to get a sense of why the Buddha says this leads that not understanding perception leads to suffering and conflict in the world. So recognizing perception itself. Let's start there. I did talk about this a little bit the other day, but I'll go into it again just to remind you. So we can recognize this activity of perception. There is an experience, and then the mind recognizing the experience. In the... um, the naming kind of perception, which is the main one I'll talk about tonight, the identification of objects. Often this kind of um, perception happens through language or through images. I would say it happens through our avenues of thought. It's often, perception is often recognized as a very kind of subtle level of thought. So this, the easiest place to recognize this, at least for me, is in the terrain of hearing. We hear something. The other day I heard the sound of geese. There was the sound and immediately what my mind did, I was inside so I I wasn't outside I couldn't like look up and see them. But in my mind, I saw an image of geese flying in a V formation. That's perception. That recognition, the mind recognizing, that's what that sound is. Sometimes it might come through a word in the mind. My mind, you know, the mind could have said something like geese, just saying the word in the mind. You'll, you'll see this. You can, you can watch this happening in your meditative experience. Because perception is so close to thinking, it's a kind of, it's a subtle kind of thought. Perception is a subtle kind of thought. That just simple recognition of, of car or geese or itch. There's, the, there's that recognition, and it, it's recognized with some kind of a thought often. It's very easy 
if we don't recognize perception happening, to move from the perception to thinking about what we've perceived. And so we might go from hearing the geese, if we didn't see that, recognize the perception of it, we might go to thinking about times we've seen geese in our past. Memories might emerge. You know, for me, actually, the other day, the memory of my, little, my, my brother when he was little, so proud having killed his first goose. That brought some emotional response, that memory. So the, the perception leads to thinking, leads to emotional responses. This is a very normal process, and I'm not saying we should stop it, but we can recognize that it's happening and conditioned on the perception. It's important to recognize that we're um, we respond to our perceptions, that we um, experiencing something like, like for instance, the geese, you know, that there is potentially an emotional resonance with what we think we have perceived. This kind of, um, or the, uh, the diluting power of this becomes kind of clearer when perception makes a mistake. So, and perception is very prone to mistake. I have to warn you about that one too. <laughs> perception can so easily make mistakes. We see something and attribute, like that, you know, like my mind saying, oh, it's a deformed being. You know, that's a kind of far out one. But our minds do misattri- misattribute, misperceive, m- make mistakes in that recognition. The classic example offered in the commentaries is walking into a a dark room and seeing a coiled form in a corner and perceiving it as a snake. With that perception, fear may arise. Then somebody turns the light on and we see that coiled form as a rope. The fear disappears. The fear was conditioned on the perception of it being a snake. So again, we can see how our uh, relationship, our perceptions of experience, and particularly when they are um, misattributed, can influence our experience. The clearest example I had of this, I've told this story quite a few times, so this may be, some of you have probably heard this one before. The clearest example for me of this kind of mistake and the emotional response that happens is that there was um, a period of time I was meditating in Burma and my, my room was pretty near the monastery wall. Lots of sounds came over the monastery wall. So if you've, any of you have practiced in Burma, you know that Burma is nowhere near as quiet as Barrie, Massachusetts. And so there were sounds, you know, there were sounds of the... Um, one at one point for three days, Burmese opera was playing nonstop, twenty four seven. That was pretty intense. But pretty much every evening, at one point, in a particular stretch of the retreat, every evening at a, at the same time, I began hearing a squealing sound. And hearing that squealing sound, my mind perceived it. I heard the sound and the identification it made was pig. I had heard pig squealing and this sounded like squealing pig. So my mind perceived it as pig. My mind didn't quite stop there. It, it, uh, it went a little further and I could see, I could see actually that the rest of this, what the rest of this that I'm going to describe to you was um, the mind constructing because I knew I didn't know this. But 
my mind had a sense that that pig was in distress and created the idea that what was happening each evening was that I was pretty near in my uh, place in the in the monastery to uh, a butchery that was just in the village. And that what I was hearing every evening was the nightly slaughter of a pig. So compassion arose for this distressed pig. And um, this went on night after night, feeling this, noticing this, hearing the pig. And then one night I was, instead of sitting at that particular time of day, I, I decided to do a walk. And while I was walking, I began to um, be kind of startled by these swooping forms that were coming very close to me. And the swooping forms I figured must be bats. I mean, I hadn't really spent much time with bats, but that was the perception that I uh, had for those creatures. And those forms were squealing. It was bats that were squealing every night. There wasn't even a pig in the picture. The pig didn't exist. The, the compassion, of course, just completely vanished. <laughs> <laughs> but again, to see, we see particularly how prone to mistake perception can be. I did not question the perception. I knew that the whole story about the slaughtering of pigs was probably an idea in my mind. It didn't, it, it, it still generated this feeling of compassion. But, you know, I knew that that part was a, of a projection. The idea that I had misperceived entirely didn't cross my mind until I noticed these bats squealing. So the mental perception created conditions for our response. This kind of thing happens all the time. And this takes us to this um, kind of more deluding aspect of perception. I'm going to read you a piece. The, the, the teachings connect this process of perception with a, another process in the mind called papancha, which is, they don't really describe or define what papancha is in the suttas, but it gives a pretty clear uh, description of how it arises and what happens when it arises. And so it's pretty clear that it's really tightly connected with delusion. That papancha and delusion go hand in hand. So uh, the other piece that the, that the suttas say about papancha is that it's intimately connected with conflict in the world. And essentially it, it, uh, the, the suttas have a, a kind of a step-by-step unfolding of, you know, why does conflict arise? And it's traced back to papancha. Papancha as the root of conflict in the world. So it's a pretty important process to understand, to get to know. And it's intimately connected with delusion in our minds. And so there's a description of how papancha comes up. I'm going to read this to you. This is a a fairly famous uh, quote from the suttas. So many of you may have heard it. The the section goes through all six sense bases with respect to this process. It's, It's a description of the process of how we go from a contact with a sense door to papancha being created and then what that papancha results in. So it goes through it for all of the six sense doors. I'm just going to read it with respect to the eye. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. So the meeting of the eye, the form being the the visible form that is seen. So the eye, the form, then there's there's, uh, eye consciousness. The meeting of those three is contact. With contact as condition, there is feeling. 
pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. What one feels, that one perceives. So there's the contact, there's a feeling, and then there's the perception, of the recognition of what it is. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one, I'm just going to put in papanchises here, <laughs> that one papanches about. It's translated in a couple of different ways. One of the ways it's translated is mental proliferation. So this what, I, this, this, what I talked about here, really clearly describes that process I was talking about. We hear a sound, we uh, perceive it. I, I hear the sound of the pig, or the sound of the squealing. Perceive it as pig, and then start thinking about it. And mentally proliferating about it. It's not just thinking. The the thinking is kind of more at the bare level. It's like, oh, that's a pig. Wonder what kind of situation that pig is in. Sounds distressed. This is where it heads into Papancha. (laughs) Sounds distressed. Maybe it's being slaughtered. Oh, there's a butcher shop over there. They're killing pigs every night. So this is a simple definition of papancha, the mind kind of running riot with thought. One of the most common ways that people talk about papancha is mental proliferation of thought. From the um, experience of papancha, the sutta goes on. This This is then a description of how papancha then impacts our subsequent perceptions. So it says, with what one has mentally proliferated, this is complicated language, I'll unpack it for you. With what one has papanchized about, with what one has has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset one with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. So basically this is talking about a process by which we see something, we experience it, we think about it, we start kind of creating opinions, views, ideas about it. And then our experience is not like bare experience coming in. We are seeing that experience through those opinions, ideas, beliefs, through that papancha. The papancha becomes a kind of filter over our experience, leading us to perceive things differently. So another example, you might be seeing somebody walk across the street, for example. That might just be a very neutral kind of seeing. Seeing a person. But perhaps in this case, this person has a body shape, height, form that's similar to someone who has caused you harm in the past. And so that there potentially becomes a reaction. It's like the sight of that person reminds you of, and this in kind of classical language, in in kind of standard language, the sight reminds you of someone and that reminding drags in a whole bunch of history. And so seeing that person is now no longer so neutral. There could be a whole bunch of emotional response that's arisen from that simple contact based on, I'll read this again, based on papancha as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by that papancha beset one 
with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. So again, you start to see how when perception is not understood, delusion and perception begin to lead us around by the nose. Our past comes into our present through this process. So that one exploration of Papancha, the the exploration of the uh, mental proliferation is one way to understand Papancha. But there's some other thoughts about the meaning of Papancha based on how it's used in the suttas, the various places it's used in the texts and how it is uh, used. Tanasaro Bhikkhu actually points that the word Papancha is used in Indian art to mean kind of a, a, a repetition of a theme that gets represented by a certain object. Might be in art, it might be uh, a repetition of a theme based on a visual object that's repeated throughout a series of paintings or multiple times in a painting. He also says that in music, again, this papancha is described as perhaps a a series of notes that become repeated throughout a piece of music. And so it becomes kind of like a little object. So actually Tan Jeff translates papancha as objectification. And I'll go into that a little bit more in just a bit. I'm particularly interested in this term because the term papancha and its ways it's connected with other terms because in certain places in the suttas the Buddha actually points to um, the um, allaying of papancha as being very um, important for full liberation. He talks about, for instance, in one sutta, he he talks about, yes, the absence of greed, the absence of aversion, the absence of delusion. One cannot be freed without those. The absence of craving, one cannot be freed without that. He said, the absence of papancha, one cannot be freed without that. So in one one list, he put it in the the list of, of things that need to be released, understood. And so, to me, you know, this actually indicates maybe this means something more than a lot of thinking. It has a deeper meaning, perhaps, than just the mind thinking about things a lot. And so, I'd like to explore that a little bit. What possibly it might, what else it might possibly point to. What other deluding aspect of experience it might point to. And to do that, I'm going to tell a story. Start with a story from the suttas. This is a teaching story. And the, um, this, this teaching story came about because a couple of his monks were wandering around on alms round, I believe. And they were hearing um, some other ascetics arguing. And those other ascetics were arguing, the Dhamma is like this. It's not like this. You're wrong. I'm right. You're, you're, you know, this is, it's not like that. And, and they were all entrenched in their positions. And uh, when his monks came back, he told them this story. He said, formerly bhikkhus, and this is, a, this is an abbreviated version of the story, so it's, it won't take too long. Formerly bhikkhus, there was a certain king in this very savati, and that king addressed a man. Come now, my good man, bring together all those persons in Savati who have been blind from birth. Yes, your majesty. Now, my man, show them an elephant. To some of the blind people, he presented the head of the elephant, saying, This is an elephant. To some, he presented an ear of the elephant, saying, This is an elephant. 
To some, he presented a tusk, the trunk, the body, the foot, the hindquarters, the tail, the tuft at the end of the tail, saying, this is the elephant. Then the king approached these people and said, have you been shown the elephant? Yes, your majesty. Tell me, what is an elephant like? Those people who had been shown the ear of the elephant replied, an elephant, your majesty, is like a winnowing basket. Those who'd been shown the body replied, an elephant is like a storeroom. Those who'd been shown the foot replied, an elephant is like a post, and so on. Saying, an elephant is like this, an elephant is not like that. They fought each other with their fists. So the story points to the way we perceive our experience. In this case, the people were the blind, the people who were blind from birth, who'd never seen an elephant in their lives, were uh, given a particular aspect of the elephant to feel. And so that's perception, right? They, they experienced the elephant with their own experience, their own hands. They experienced the elephant. They weren't given the full picture. And yet from that perception and the perception from direct experience, very strong views got formed. Strong ideas about this is an elephant. For the elephant who was shown the leg, it's not incorrect to say this part of the elephant is like a post, but the view that gets created and often this happens around perception, a view gets created that grows larger than the actual perception. So we take things in with perception, we create an idea about that, we believe that idea, and then block out other information, other ideas, and say, it's like this. It's like this, we believe our ideas. And we do this actually a lot. This is not an uncommon experience for us to create an idea and then hold to it. And it's like this, it's like this. To take it out of the realm of a teaching story and into the realm of our world. There's a concept, a concept of race, for instance. The concept of race is well known, well understood, to have no basis in biology whatsoever. No basis in DNA, none. The concept of race is completely a construction of mistaken perception. And yet, that concept has been one of the most, created some of the most horrible suffering this planet has seen. Because of beliefs in the concept of race, beliefs about the ideas of what various races are. This is, even even though the idea of race is a complete myth, the reality lingers, continues to this day. The reality of oppression, the reality of suffering because of a concept. It's not just about people and stories coming to blows over an elephant. It's well worth 
getting to know, familiarizing ourselves with these processes of mind to understand how this works. So in that story, and in the sense of, you know, the, the, what we take a perception, we take a perception, you know, create a thing out of it. This may be what is meant by papancha. Tanjeff uses the word objectification. So the people touching the foot of the elephant, the leg of the elephant, creating the concept like a post, that becomes the reference point for elephant at that point. So we go from a perception to a thought to a belief. That process, I think where the the believing part enters, may be some of what Papancha is about the essentially the process by which we conceptualize something and then take it to be reality. I started out by saying that's how perception is deluding. Back to that image of the mirage. We mistake the reflection for a reality. So this is um, the, the deluding nature of perception and where I think Papancha fits in. So Patanjeff has used this term objectification, the creation of an object out of experience, out of a process, creation of an object. There's another term that I like that the definition of which is perfect for this. It's a, it's a, it's a philosophical term called reification. Some of you may have heard of this term, reification. I wrote down the Wikipedia definition of reification this evening. Reification is the error of treating as a concrete thing something which is not concrete, but merely an idea. This is what happens all the time with us, with perception. We relate to our experience through the concepts, taking them to be the reality. One scholar, Sri Lankan scholar, says, this process of distorted perception, of placing every bare perception into a framework of emotions and beliefs that have come out of our past, our history, our conditioning, robs the freshness out of our experiences. But we are not aware of the constant interference of the past. Because of this unawareness, which is our ignorance and our delusion, we see humanity fragmented as me and others, us and them, and in various other stereotypes, skin color, ethnicity, language, and ideology included. And this is happening all the time. This is happening all the time. And so we can, through this exploration of perception, begin to see how everything that we experience Everything that we experience is created and experienced through the mind. It's easier to see this with the world of thoughts. Fairly easy. I remember at one point I was, um, I had broken up with a partner and had gotten over that partner long ago. And yet my mind at one point, I was walking down the street and my mind came out of this thought bubble, which had created the world of being back in relationship with that person. And we were going somewhere and doing something and then pop, the uh, bubble burst. And it was a little bit confusing. It's like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, there wasn't, at that point, there, you know, the, the emotional attachment had long since um, released. And so there wasn't any feeling of, oh, poor me, I'm not in that relationship anymore. It was just like seeing the delusion of the mind having created a reality for a minute, 
that that relationship was existent again. We can see this kind of uh, way in which we live through our thoughts. You know, that, that the creation of thought worlds, thought bubbles that we live in. It's a little harder to see that everything we experience, every sight, every sound, every smell, every taste, every touch, is mediated by the mind. What we experience through sight, for example, is just like little pixelated bits of light and color. And it's our mind that puts together the images there was an example of this um, in California, where I live. There's a a, uh, a science museum. It's mostly for kids, but it's fun for adults too. And I took my ten-year-old nephew there at one point, and uh, we walked into the. It's called the Exploratorium. We walked into the Exploratorium, and um, back in the kind of back hall, back of the hall, is a big, giant open warehouse, basically. And hanging on the ceiling, back in the back of the room, there were long rods. They were probably, you know, maybe five or six feet long, these rods. Maybe about, you know, two inches, three inches around. And each rod, there was about probably about 15 of them, 10 to 15 of these rods hanging about, well, maybe they were like two feet apart. So there were these rods, you know, there's a rod there and a rod there, about two feet apart, 10 to 15 of these things. And on each rod, there were flashing colored lights. And I looked up at that and I thought, huh, I wonder what that is. I'll have to check that out later. And my uh, nephew and I wandered around the Exploratorium and we stopped at one point to get something to, to eat and rest, and and he was sitting there eating his whatever, his ice cream cone or whatever, and he was kind of looking up, and he he said, look, it's butterflies! And I looked in the direction that he was looking, and he was looking at these rods. And I looked up and I said, what are you talking about? And then he said, oh, now it's a school bus! And I looked up, and I saw a lot of yellow flashing lights and a little red flashing light, and I said, what are you talking about? I see yellow flashing lights. I see it's kind of, it would be the color of a school bus, but I do not see a school bus up there. And it took me quite a while, actually. We went off to do something else, but then we came back and I said, okay, I am going to see what on earth he is talking about. And I stood there for a while and watched. And at some point, it's kind of like, I think Carol mentioned the other day, this trick of those uh, 3D things where you have to look just in the right way to see these dinosaurs pop out of the page. Well, this is kind of a similar thing. You have to look at it just in the right way. I think it's kind of probably a little bit of a tracking. But what happened as I looked at it was the entire area that was delimited by those bars, became a screen. It genuinely looked like there was a projector, a, a project, a screen that something was being projected on. And on that screen, I saw a school bus riding across the screen. The uh, perception was so detailed that I could read the name of the school district on the side of the school bus. My understanding of how this works is that the, the flashing lights were timed just right and the, the, there's a kind of a persistence of memory, a persistence of vision that carried in imagination. It clearly was not happening out there. That was what was so amazing about this exhibit. It clearly was not happening out there. That school bus was in the mind. The persistence of vision put all those little bits of light together to create the image of the school bus. This is another area where delusion can creep in because this the concepts I mean, that, that was really clear. That school bus did not exist anywhere. It wasn't even a projection of a school bus. It was completely in the mind. 
And yet the mind creates the object. It creates the solidity of a thing. And this too, I think, is in the terrain of Papancha. The creation, the solidification, the objectification of experience. All experience is mediated through the mind. Clinging, of course, is a mental experience. I think you're probably all really familiar with that one by now. The experience of clinging. That's a mental formation. A present arising in the mind has no inherent reality in the world. And not only that, but what we cling to is a construction of our own minds. What we are clinging to is created by our own minds. Mostly we cling to concepts. We cling to ideas. There's no way to cling to reality. And so this doorway of perception and concept is a very fertile ground for clinging. When not seen clearly, when perception is not seen for what it is, We create that object and we cling to it. Our perceptual process has been co-opted, or it's probably a a word you're not familiar with, some of you from uh, non-first language English speakers, co-opted. Perception has been kind of taken over by delusion to make us believe that there's something actually to cling to. But what we're clinging to is a formation of the mind, an idea in the mind. When our minds start to see this, when our minds get it, begin to get that the mind is contributing to its own suffering, Fortunately, our minds don't particularly want to suffer. And as, as our minds get the information about how suffering is created, our minds begin to recognize, well, that's not necessary. That can be let go of. But it's not something we can necessarily just act to do. The mind has to, be, has to see things clearly. And perception happens all the time. We have a lot of opportunity to watch this process. But it is something not necessarily to try to do. I think I said this last time. Saito Utejaniya often says, this isn't something to do, but it's information that may help you to see something new in your experience. Just observe. Very simple. These processes can become apparent just through the simplicity of meeting experience and the ways that we are confused and deluded will also begin to be revealed and the mind will choose to let go when it understands that. Let's sit for a moment.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.